0: This is the Six Figure Home Studio Podcast, episode 91. You're listening to the Six Figure Home Studio Podcast, the number one resource for running a profitable home recording studio. Now your hosts, Brian Hood and Chris Graham. Welcome back to another episode of the Six Figure Home Studio Podcast. I am your hype bro, Brian Hood, and I'm here (laughs) with my bald, beautiful, purple-shirted co-host, Christopher J, j i think it's christopher j Graham, or is it H. A j yeah. yeah
1: j christopher j
0: that's right what's you doing dude how
1: are you doing right now man i'm great i am on the beautiful shores of lake michigan up in the pinky finger of michigan if you will taking some time out of my vacay to hang with you bruh
0: as you were moving around the place with your laptop open i saw the view out of your window and it's like this amazing lake it's dope what's the weather like up there right now
1: it's pretty so the nice thing about this area it's right around traverse city for those of you guys that know this area. But a ton of people from the Midwest vacation up here because it's cooler in like July and August than it would be anywhere else in the country, pretty much. And Lake Michigan looks like the Caribbean. It's gorgeous. It's like, you know, sorority blue and teal. And it's awesome. So it's like you're at the ocean, but there's no salt. And it's not a million miles away. And it's not so hot. So it's like 75. It's awesome.
0: Well, I'm mad at you because... Everyone else in our mastermind group is here in Nashville for Nam I for know. summer Nam. I didn't come, and so you're up there swimming in dirty Michigan water instead of hanging with us.
1: Crystal clear Michigan water; it, you can see the bottom at like 40 feet. It's crazy.
0: I've heard all about Flint, Michigan. I know about your water problems. <laughs> don't don't try to pretend <laughs> like your water, leg water is good.
1: <laughs> Funny story though. So we rented a boat yesterday, and we're driving around Lake Michigan. And we got my kids My brother My mom My stepdad And we're driving we're having a good time And all of a sudden I'm like I talk to my daughter Anora And I'm like Anora look at that Giant bird That's flying towards us And all of a sudden It gets a little closer And I'm like It's a bald eagle Oh my gosh It's a bald eagle And then the bald eagle Proceeded to start a fight With three giant seagulls Over the water Right by our boat And there's like a dog fight And I assume Since
0: that's our nation's animal It kicked their asses right <laughs> Actually the seagulls won <laughs> <laughs> that makes me so happy for some reason i don't know why
1: it was amazing so he like started to fight and the seagulls were like oh hell no and they started chasing him and they were faster than he was no so way he, he tucked tail and run man tuck, Tucked tuck tail and ran what i don't know what i'm talking about tuck tail and ran okay well whatever man well that sounds like you're having a good time up there oh we're having a blast
0: Uh well that's either way we miss you down here in nashville man Got to hang out with Lidge from Recording Studio Rockstars yesterday at a event that I'm not supposed to talk about and not allowed to talk about. And we're not going to talk about, but just uh-huh. know that you guys miss some cool stuff. Everyone listening that doesn't know what I'm talking about, then I'm not going to give any details on. And I like
1: being the secretive, but it, it was really cool. I really enjoyed it. It was really tough for me to decide on not escaping family vacation because this was the only time our family could do it. But I think it was good and healthy that I opted for this over Nam. But I do miss you guys. And especially because like, this is where... Me and you first got really, really tight was NAM two years ago, summer NAM two years ago. It's true. The first
0: time we met and I realized, Oh my God, you're you're really tall. (laughs) And I'm six feet. I'm not short either.
1: This is true. Yeah, you're very tall too. What was so fun was like we ran into our other buddies from our mastermind group and they were like, you know, we had been kind of missing in action after meeting for the first time. And like, what were you guys doing? Looking at spreadsheets? And we were like, Yeah. Yeah. We actually had been looking at spreadsheets. It was
0: awesome. That is so true. Yeah, we disappeared away from the rest of the Nam people to stare at spreadsheets and talk numbers in business.
1: Ah, so fun.
0: And that's when we were like, are we best friends now?
1: I think so. I think so. And then we went to the Nam floor, and I had a damn near nervous breakdown with all the different noise stimulus. and Mostly because the drummers. That was rough.
0: Let's move on. I don't even want to think about that.
1: Let's not talk about that. (laughs)
0: <laughs> the good news is I don't even have a pass to Nam this year I'm just hanging out at all the like parties and stuff at studios afterwards and like
1: that's awesome
0: I don't even care about the actual event because after going to the west coast one in anaheim There's no reason for me to go to the one in nashville. It's like a tenth of the size.
1: That was dope I would say for those of you that are kind of newer in the audio industry Going to like winter NAM, That's the one that's in los angeles is such a good experience. Yes, because there's so many people there. And you kind of get this picture of our industry as a whole that I had never even had until I went. I was like, oh, this is what our industry is. And my gosh, these audio companies don't know how to market their own products. (laughs) It was just, it was really, really interesting and really, really fun.
0: It's so true. I would wholeheartedly recommend people go into that one. And if you do come to the summer one at any point, this podcast location, my home, my studio, it's like three blocks from the Music City Center where they have Nam. So- I love meeting up with people if they're around here. So just hit me up. Let's move on to the episode, Chris, the topic we have today. But before we get to that, we're going to talk about the people that make this show possible. We have some sponsors for this podcast, the least of which is LaCroix. Pop open this LaCroix here. Can you guess this flavor just by the sound of that can opening, Chris?
1: We're on video chat, so I can see that it's lime, <laughs> but... It's, uh, it's actually key lime. <laughs> not a fan of that flavor, actually. It's trash. This is the worst thing ever. So we're not sponsored
0: by LaCroix, but we are indirectly because it fuels our souls. You got LaCroix there?
1: moose, baby. moose, yeah. Grapefruit flavor. Oh, yeah.
0: Yeah, so key lime was because I do... I'm, I'm just like a lazy millennial, so I don't go grocery shopping. I get my groceries picked up
1: and delivered for me. They always pick up the wrong one when you order it like through Amazon or something.
0: I select the option where they use their best judgment for substitutions because I don't want to be texted every five seconds because my phone's always on do not disturb. So they sometimes pick the wrong flavors of substitutions and I get mad about it, but I can't be mad because I didn't have to go to the grocery store. So this is true. You know, I'd rather use that time of them shopping for me. I'd rather use that to build my business instead of shopping due to something called opportunity cost. Hint, hint. We're going to talk about that today. (laughs) Um, Oh, yeah. Right. So our real sponsors for this show are first bounce butler chris do you want to talk about what bounce butler is and why they sponsor this show
1: yeah so bounce butler is an app let's say you're like hey i've got 16 songs i need to bounce today that i just finished mixing i'm gonna sit here and bounce them one at a time in pro tools logic cubase whatever doll you use which if you're on pro tools like 10 you literally have to Listen through the entire song in real time to bounce it down. Yeah. So what's a better solution is to use an app called Bounce Butler. Check it out, bouncebutler.com. Bounce Butler, you tell it a bunch of session files, and then it bounces them all one at a time. And uh, if you want, even copies those into Dropbox so that you can get them remotely on your phone. It's
0: dope. Yeah, that's what I usually do. I bounce to Dropbox, but I do it one by one, or I used to before I got Bounce Butler. Oh, And our second sponsor is filepass.com.
1: Chris, what is filepass.com? So let me tell you a quick story. When I launched my business, it was tricky once you had more than a few customers to balance like what each person wanted, especially once you're in revision phase. I like to call that revision hell. Yeah, revision hell. And you would get like, crap. I, I feel like he asked me to turn the snare up in this song, but I don't see it in my emails. I don't see it in my text messages. Oh, crap. It's in my LinkedIn messages. Damn
0: it. <laughs> Damn it. Or it's in a th- email thread that got split off and lost in the ether of your inbox.
1: Yeah. So filepass.com gets you out of revision hell and gets all revisions in one spot and makes it super easy for your clients to, one, give you revisions, and then two, when they're like, I thought I told you to turn that snare up, you can be like, no, you didn't, bruh. Because look, it's not in filepass. Also, there's a paywall. So you can make sure that If clients want to download the finished product, they have to pay you first. Super dope. And it's one of those things where I'm like, I can't believe I didn't think of this.
0: Yeah, so think about it. It's kind of like Dropbox. You share a link with a client. They can stream it in their browser with a few differentiations. One is it doesn't ask you to sign up for an app or create an account. Your clients just go straight to the song. And number two, they can leave timestamp provisions directly on the track. So you don't have to like refer to that point of the song. It's directly on the
1: song. That's dope. I can't tell you how many times I've had a client be like, um, could you listen to the uh, the the second post chorus of the of the third chorus um, on the fourth song? Um, I feel like the compressor is ducking the vocal a little bit. Like, oh god, it's a special skill to like decipher
0: yeah. the like language people have used for me in the past to describe where in a song they're talking about. With FilePass, they just drop a pin on that track at that spot and say exactly what they want. Yeah. And whenever you've done the revision, you can mark it as done and it hides it so you can refer back to it if you need to. If not, you know it's out of the way, out of sight, out of mind, you're done and you can move on and send them the next version of their song. So super cool stuff. It's at FilePass.com. As of right now, we're still in early access and we will be allowing more people in just in small trickles. So go there and sign up for the uh, waiting list if you're into that. So today, Chris, we're going to be talking about a Topic that I kind of talked about a little bit when I was talking about hiring somebody to shop for me so I can work on my business while they're out at the grocery store. It's something called opportunity cost. And we've probably touched on this a little bit, but not nearly as much as we should. And what sparked this was conversation we saw in our Facebook community. The greatest thing about having a Facebook community, which if you're not a member, go to the six figurehomestudio.com/slash community. It'll forge you to our Facebook community. Or you can just search for the Six Figure Home Studio community on Facebook, look for the group. The coolest thing about this community is all the discussion that happens. Yeah. And we get to see like this top-down view of thousands of studios and all the problems they have, all of the issues they're bringing up. And weirdly enough, all of the flaws that people (laughs) have. And the flaws are, not to say it's a bad thing. Everyone has flaws and weak spots and blind spots, including Chris and I. And sometimes we spot these flaws and blind spots and things in other people because we see it displayed in our Facebook community and discussions. And this was one of those times. And we're going to talk about that a little bit. We're not going to try to throw anybody under the bus here, but this is a very important topic that we really haven't touched on much. So Chris, can you talk about what opportunity cost is?
1: Yeah. Opportunity cost is, you guys have heard the phrase, you can't have your cake and eat it too. This is a euphemism about the opportunity cost. And the idea is you can either have the cake or you can eat the cake. But once you eat the cake, you no longer have the cake. And if you have the cake, you can't eat the cake unless you want to get rid of the cake, right? And so this idea is really, really important in business. I honestly, this is one of those things that I don't think it's possible to be successful in any industry unless you have some concept of opportunity cost, because here's the thing. We're all messed up. We're all broken. And we're all going to fixate on the wrong things. And when you think about opportunity cost, it helps you remember this idea that, look, you could spend time on this thing, or you could make this investment, or you could work on that project. But the opportunity cost is that now you can't make that investment or work on that other project or do this other thing to grow your business.
0: The big point is in our Facebook community, we saw some discussion that spurred this episode And Chris and I started talking about opportunity cost and what an episode would be about this and we came to three different areas That opportunity cost comes up that people rarely notice or that people really make mistakes on one of those areas is Being unwilling to spend money to save time. We're going to talk about that That's what the facebook discussion was about people that spend time on the wrong things There's a huge opportunity cost associated with that and then spending money on the wrong things there's a huge opportunity cost on that because if you spend money on one thing, you don't have that money to spend on something else. So we're going to break down each of these three areas, starting with that first, not being willing to spend money to save time.
1: Well, let me kind of address these three things, the not spending money to save time, spending time on the wrong things and spending money on the wrong things. If I could go back in time, 16 years, man, and talk to younger Chris Graham, he was awful at this. He had no idea what opportunity cost was and that all I wanted to do was feel good about myself and I would do anything, whether that was spend money or spend time or whatever it happened to be just to feel a little bit better about myself because there was so much imposter syndrome going on. And most of that imposter syndrome was causing me to ignore opportunity cost. So I think this is going to be a really, really valuable episode. This is one of those ones where like, as you just kind of explained the whole thing, I was like, oh my gosh, I was so bad at this back in the day.
0: I still struggle with this because there's still times every single week I probably do something off of this list that we're going to talk about today. So this is not like we're impervious to this. It's just, it's way easier to point out other people's flaws than to point out your own. So this is us pointing out other people's flaws that we've seen on Facebook while also admitting that we all struggle with these same things too. So don't feel like if we talk about these things and you just are, you feel so down on yourself because you do all these things, don't, don't feel down on yourself. Just understand that, These are all preventable things to an extent, but you'll never be fully free of opportunity costs. You will always have opportunity costs on every decision you make. This is unavoidable. The best thing you can do though is to minimize the opportunity cost on the wrong thing. Let's jump into this. Not spending money to save time. This specifically stems from a discussion in our Facebook group about people being mad that a lot of the plugin companies are moving to subscription model. I think Pro Tools is on a subscription model now. And there's just a lot of conversation around that. I'm not gonna really speak on whether or not you should do a subscription model on plugin companies or not. And Chris and I both have software companies, Bounce Butler and FilePass that are subscription companies. So we're very biased here, potentially. So (laughs) take our advice here
1: with a grain of salt. You might not subscribe to our own beliefs. Oh my God.
0: (sighs) I didn't know we were going to do this today. Yes.
1: It's one of those days, Brian.
0: Yeah, the opportunity cost of your dad jokes, your dad puns. Let's talk about software subscriptions for a second because there's a lot of negativity around these. There's pros and cons on both sides of it. But I want to talk about people that are unwilling to pay for a subscription because it is a subscription. And I see this all the time with FilePass, people that are like, oh, I didn't sign up because I didn't want to spend X amount a month, whatever. I don't know what our pricing is going to be yet, but... It's set to something right now and people aren't willing to pay that. Bounce Butler's the same way. People are probably going to turn it down because they don't want to add another monthly subscription to their, and I fully understand that because every single monthly subscription you add to your bottom line, that increases your overhead, which increases your monthly expenses, which increases the amount of work you have to do just to break even. So I fully understand that. But there's an opportunity cost to blindly shooting down a subscription cost that, saves you time, frustration, or does some other beneficial thing. So Chris, take this away, because I know you have some examples in your own
1: business of stuff. Here's the thing. Not all subscriptions are bad. And this idea, this sort of like, it's a financial kind of blue collary, you know, idealism of like, oh, all subscriptions are bad. Just say no if it's a subscription. To me, that's crazy. Because when you grow a business, inevitably what you end up doing is hiring people. And then you have to pay them. And when you hire someone, do you know what that is? That's a subscription. That's a subscription that you are paying for access to them to do work for you. When you have software that can replace some of those hours that you have to hire in your business at a significantly cheaper cost, you should do it every single time. Because not only have you saved time, which then you could redeem to hang out with family or do whatever else, exercise, exercise but you could also take on more projects so now the capacity of your business to earn money it has a ceiling all of our businesses can never get past this imaginary number of what's the maximum amount of work that you can do and then what's the maximum amount of money you can make from that when you start to get more efficient by buying a subscription i'm going to use an example from my own life from a company called zapier they are not a subscriber subscriber <laughs> they're not a sponsor um, but Zapier, aka uh, Zapier, some people call it Zapier, I pay $49 a month. I have for years, and it lets me plug a lot of my systems into other websites and automate a bunch of stuff. It's really great. Is it $49 a month that I have to spend every month? Yes. But how much time does it save me? And how much money does it save me to have to hire somebody else to build a bunch of web systems out that then might crash because I'm the only one using them, da 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 da, da, da. Bottom line is that when you have a subscription that saves you time, a.k.a. increases your capacity, then it might be a really good investment. And for a lot of people, these plug-in subscription bundles are a far better investment than to go out and spend a couple thousand dollars to own a bunch of this stuff.
0: Let me touch on that a little bit. So Zapier, that software you use, for those who don't know what that is, go look into it. It's one of the best things you'll ever implement in your business, if you can find clever ways to implement it, you would probably pay $500 a month for that if they raise their prices. That's how important it is for you.
1: I would definitely consider it.
0: Yep. You would consider You would have to probably run some numbers and some nerdy spreadsheets, but I would almost bet that that's how much value you're getting out of it. And that's kind of one of those things here. People look at a price of subscription for software and they don't put any consideration into the value they're getting from that. They just blindly shoot it down. And it's the same for some of these plugin companies. I would actually prefer to pay a subscription to a lot of products if it's a mission critical piece of software, meaning my entire business runs off of that or a crucial part of my business runs off of that for a few reasons. One of those reasons is if I pay one time for a software and I'm getting constant use out of it over many, many years, but people aren't continuing to buy that software, meaning that company's not getting revenue anymore, they're gonna stop supporting it. They don't have money to pay staff, to further develop it, to further build things out, to keep it stable, to keep it running, to keep it bug-free. And so now I have my mission-critical piece of software my business is running on, whether it's a CRM or whether it's a Zapier, which is an automation software, or whether it's for my mailing list for the Six Figure Home Studio, or whether it's my DAW for Pro Tools, even though I don't pay for a subscription. But it's something that is mission-critical. I want that company to be healthy. I want them to have the staff in place and the support in place that I need for my own use. and so. If I'm only paying a one-time fee, that means no matter how long I use that software, they're not getting any more money out of me. And that it's a very difficult place for a company to be. And I understand that. From your perspective, what you get out of it is you're getting a better piece of software and you're getting a valuable piece of software that's saving you more time than you're spending on it. So next part that people tend to ignore opportunity cost is spending time on the wrong things. We have all been there. This is probably one of our worst areas of opportunity cost because. I think you can all understand this. If you spend time doing one thing, you're saying no to everything else you could be doing right at that point. And so there's some points we have in here that we wanna talk about. I think first point to talk about is on advertising your studio. There is a number of ways you can do things. And I think there's a few points in here that I wanna bring up when it comes to opportunity cost between three main areas of advertising your studio. One is organic social media, so like posting on Instagram, posting on Facebook, posting on whatever, LinkedIn. (laughs) Actually, maybe there's some TV film guys that post on LinkedIn, but doing organic social media. Chris, you've seen some guys that do this. They do really well on like Instagram. Mark Eckert, one of our guests on the podcast, does really well on Instagram. You've probably seen
1: some other guys too that do pretty well on social media. Yeah, there's a lot of people, obviously, who do an awful lot on social media, particularly Instagram for the recording studios. I've talked to a lot of these guys and you know, we've considered having, you know, quite a few people on the podcast. And kind of the general theme that I've run into with people whose primary method of marketing is free Instagram posts. You know, they're like, well, it's free, so I'm just gonna be really active. It's like, well, the opportunity cost there is it takes a lot of time. It's extremely stressful, it can feel really toxic because it's a constant comparison game to everybody else. And you might wake up one day and Instagram changed the rules. This is the thing I see a lot of people changed
0: their marketing strategy when Facebook's algorithm kicked into place and all of a sudden your business account instead of reaching 50, 60, 70% of your followers now you're reaching 5 to 10% of your followers and that hurt a lot of businesses.
1: Here's the thing, everyone thinks this is brand new. Everyone thinks oh my gosh, this is the worst thing that's ever happened. This is all that's ever happened in any new type of media ever. It used to be really really easy to get organic search results in Google when I started out. There were a lot of things you could do that would make your website rank really, really high. And for you know a long time, I would rank really, really high on keywords like online audio mastering or audio mastering or music mastering. I still do in a lot of those. But it was a lot of work. And then you'd wake up one day and Google would change the algorithm. And now all that work that you did is gone. And that's what a lot of people don't recognize, that opportunity cost is, has a lot to do with you put work into these sort of things. And you could have put your work into something else at the time. But with a lot of this stuff, you wake up one day and all of that work that you put into something disappeared because you were playing in someone else's sandbox. You were playing in Mark Zuckerberg's sandbox and Mark Zuckerberg changed the rules. And now all that work that you did is not worth anything anymore or is worth 10% of what it used to be worth And now you start to really feel that opportunity cost of, oh my gosh, why on earth didn't I start a podcast with Brian Hood years ago? (laughs)
0: Ah! I do want to say that a lot of this sort of stuff is inevitable. Like you can't avoid some of these things. Yeah. If you want to participate in organic social media, you want to have a social media presence, you're going to pay the price in the form of- them changing the rules. It's the same in paid advertising. Even we're talking about organic, like free forms of advertising. And we're using the word free in quotes, which is like organic social media or cold outreach. All of these things are not really free because you're spending a lot of your time and that's the opportunity cost. You could be spending that time on something else that's earning you money and you could spend part of that money on paid advertising But even some of that's not imperviable to, is that even the right word? I don't know, imperviable to-
1: Imperviable, let's make it a word.
0: I don't know, it's a word I'm using today. Even some of that is not imperviable to change in someone else's platform changing. Like Facebook will inevitably change the way paid advertising is done on their platform in the future, and we're gonna have to suck it up. But I think we're getting a little off topic here.
1: Well, not necessarily, because here's the thing. It's not a zero-sum game. It's not, well, you could work on Instagram or you could work on your SEO results on Google. You could do paid advertising, or you could do a lot of email marketing. It's not do one thing and not the other. The opportunity cost could have been instead of spending three hours per day on Instagram, spend one hour per day on Instagram, and then spend another hour per day on blogging, and then spend another hour per day on paid search results. If you start to spread yourself out a lot more you know, evenly across different sections of the market, What will happen is that you're less susceptible. You're less impermeable.
0: Imperviable is what I, I'm looking this up now. I need to know if this is a word.
1: I think it's impervious. You are now impervious.
0: It's a word and I used it right. I want to point that out according to Google.
1: I don't believe you.
0: Not being capable of being affected or something. So I, I think I used it correctly. Love it. It's fantastic. But the opportunity cost of me looking that up instead of talking about opportunity cost means that our (laughs) listeners had to deal with me looking this up (laughs) instead of learning valuable information.
1: And James had to edit that in to not have a super long pause there because uh, ADD. That's true. Yeah, so the big idea here is that there's an awful lot of people in our industry who struggle with doing one thing when they could have been doing something else that would have been more beneficial to them And in my opinion, most of the reason for that is that they want a pat on the back now instead of business growth later.
0: Yeah, and I think that leads us to the next point really well. And that is something we call technician's brain. Technician's brain is basically where you let your stupid engineer brain take over. And I use this stupid engineer brain lightly because I have it all the time too. Chris definitely has this. And this is where you start going down this endless rabbit hole of research, spending time on learning things that don't ultimately matter or change. There's a really
1: good book that kicked my ass called The Paradox of Choice by Barry Schultz. I think I got his name right there. And one of the things Barry talks about in that book is this very idea. And he calls people who struggle with this, who walk into the grocery store and look at every single box of cereal and read the ingredients before picking a box of cereal to buy. He calls these types of people maximizers. I am at my heart (laughs) a massive maximizer. I'm obsessed with getting a good deal. I'm obsessed with making everything perfect. And here's the thing. In that situation, if I walk into the grocery store, I don't do this, but if I did walk into the grocery store and look at every single box of cereal and then weigh the pros and cons and consider like, well, this one says it has gluten and this one says it uses hemp seed, and I like hemp seed. If I go through this huge song and dance, ultimately it would have been better for me to just go in, pick the top five you know, boxes that looked interesting and then really quickly choose because all the time that I spent on that, Could have been used for something far more fruitful in my life. And what happens is the reason that people do this isn't because they want the best cereal. They want to pat themselves on the back and say, Well, you know, I did the research and uh, this is by far the most superior of uh, cereals. And I'm smart and uh, I want you to think I'm smart. It's about patting yourself on the back and it's about ego. It's not about cereal, it's about ego. And what so many people do in our industry, because let's face it, guys, we're in one of the most egotistical industries in the world, especially the audio engineer type, is this idea of like, I want to be elite. I want to know like, well, you know, I did the thing and I won. There's like a teenager boy video game mentality here that misses the point. The point isn't to win. The point is to grow your business and build the life you want, right? And most people pass up that opportunity cost, which in this case isn't necessarily like that the cereal will be 5% better because it won't be. The opportunity cost is what could you have used that time to do instead? Or rather than trying to win the opportunity to pat yourself on the back for a job well done choosing cereals or whatever that happens to be, or whether you, well, you know, I spend $4 less per month because I switched software. It took me 47 hours to make that transition, but now I spend $4 a month. That's silly abandon the pat on the back thing, or at least begin to measure things where you really do deserve a pat in the back, like consistently making an extra thousand dollars a month for six months in a row. Pat yourself in the back big time for that. That's awesome. You should be super proud as opposed to this like, I have chosen the best one because I am an audio engineer extraordinaire. <laughs> like it's a losing proposition. And I say this, man, I'm preaching it myself. I struggle with this stuff and thank God I struggle with it a little bit less each year.
0: Yeah, I remember your story back episodes and episodes ago, I don't remember how long ago, where you talked about how you'd be sitting on the sofa with your wife while you're trying to like hang out after work, and you'd be looking up tech specs for diagrams for amps or whatever, like something super nerdy.
1: A uh, vintage Fender Princeton Reverb from 1966. Just That's a gear slot
0: alert you just heard if you're to <laughs> the podcast. We don't know if you're talking this podcast. <laughs>
1: uh, it isn't kind of, it's vintage gear, Brian. Can we change the rules? Just no. Kidding. No, we're not changing the no. rules. But yeah, I mean, like, it's this thing of, like, even in that case, let's use that example. I've talked about this a lot. You know, I would work, you know, 10, 12 hours a day producing, mixing, doing whatever, you know, the all singing, all dancing thing. And then I would hang out with my wife and we'd watch a TV show and I would be multitasking while like trying to learn more about, you know, a specific type of amplifier, thinking like that was the best use of my time. It wasn't because I was exhausted and therefore stupid constantly and had a rough marriage because I wasn't caring for my wife well, which then cascaded into all other areas of my life and business. Opportunity cost is about being future you's best friend, not about winning present you a pat on the back. I think that's a good example for a technician's brain.
0: So the next area of opportunity cost related to spending time on the wrong things is something that we've all done. And that is focusing on the right things at the wrong time. I have a course called the Home Studio Startup. This is the whole premise of that course. There are so many things in your business that you need to do to be successful, but most people focus on the 80% that are fun that doesn't do anything to push their business. And they don't spend that amount of time on the 20% of things that will push their business forward early on in their business. So this is focusing on the right things at the wrong time. So things like, give me an example, Chris, what's something that people do that is really important at some point, but for a new studio or somebody that hasn't made their first dollar yet, is an important thing to do yet. What's an example?
1: Well, one of the things that I would mention is I think some people hear us talk about paid marketing and they think, oh, I just need to do paid marketing. Yes. Well, there's a couple problems there. One, if you have a website that doesn't convert, i.e., that when a stranger finds it, they don't fill out your contact form or they don't you know, message you or whatever. Or another reason for that might be that you have absolutely zero internet presence whatsoever other than your website. So when someone Googles your name or your studio name, they come up with butt kiss. Butt kiss, is that the right word? Butt kiss? I don't know. I don't even know. I don't know what you're even trying to say, but I, butt I kiss. love it. They come up with zilch. They, you know, there you say go. I know that Let's word. say I'm, you, know, you, you wanted to work with Chris Graham mastering. That felt weird. Let's say you wanted to work with me. So you would Google Chris Graham mastering, right? And... You would see a lot of stuff, reviews, and all over the place. If I run a paid marketing campaign and someone hears about me through that paid marketing campaign, they're probably going to do a little bit of research. There's a pretty good chance that they're going to hire me because I look like I know what I'm doing on the internet. Your point again is if you're trying to do the right thing at
0: the wrong time, you, someone that's brand new might hear this podcast and hear us talk about remarketing on episode
1: 88.
0: 88 oh, look at that. And think, oh, I need to do remarketing for my studio, but. That's the right thing to do, but if you're brand new, you don't even have a website yet, or you have a website with zero visitors a month, that's the right thing at the wrong time. You were focusing on the wrong time. And all that time you spent setting up that retargeting campaign that we talked about in episode 88, you could have spent that time actually building a website or actually getting people to come to your website by many of the other things we've talked about on this podcast before. There's plenty of ways to get top of funnel activities, what we call it. But the point is you're focused on the right thing at the wrong time. And that is a huge
1: form of opportunity cost. Well, one of the things I see people do an awful lot is they look at business development as networking. Like, oh, I'm going to go do some networking.
0: <laughs> I don't know if anything's ever been accomplished by someone that said, I'm going to go some, do some networking.
1: <laughs> yeah. N- nobody calls it networking that, d- no. yeah, that was every successful at networking. Yeah.
0: It's like, I'm going to be going to some parties this week for Nam at studios and I'm calling them parties and conversations, but it's networking. I'm not calling it networking because I know better than
1: that. (laughs) Yeah. Well, here's the thing. If you are in the service business and you're trying to find clients, if that's what drives your business forward, going and meeting other people in the same industry as you probably isn't going to help at all. It'll make you feel good about yourself. It
0: does help with the loneliness aspect of being a home-based business. Like If you run a home studio, it does get lonely as hex.
1: It definitely does. It will help with that, but it won't help with your biggest problem, which for most of you is how the heck do I get more customers? I love that you just used heck. (laughs) Or how the heck do I deal with all the customers I currently have? So the networking thing is, again, it's one of these things of like, if you show up at a networking event and you're brand new, you stand to gain something because you get an idea of what the reality of the marketplace is, but you're being told what the reality of the marketplace is by all your future competitors, not by customers. I
0: will say this, I've noticed in like the Nashville studio world, even people that are, I guess what you consider direct competitors, they're all friends. They all hang out together. They all talked about nerdy gear stuff with each other. Man, there's a lot of gear slots in Nashville, <laughs> but they love each other. They're, they're like supporting each other. So it's not so much that competitor mindset, that zero-sum game. But if you go into these groups of people that are at the peak of their game and you are someone who's just getting started, you might get some good advice. But as far as networking goes, you're not going to get any customers out of it.
1: Well, and that's the thing is I think most people, they've heard the word networking and so they feel like it's something they need to do for their business, but they're not thinking about why they should be networking.
0: Let me paint a picture here that makes this a little more clear. Let's just say you go to a local concert or you go to a live venue of some sort and you meet bands there. You start networking for whatever reason you have business cards you're handing out. Chris, do you have business cards? I don't have business cards. I do. Okay, whatever. And say you give them a business card. And here's what happens next they go to look you up on the internet later on No, one's going to call your business card and just hire you straight off the bat They're going to do some research into you. This is the internet age. Everyone googles you first totally Okay, now they can't find you on google. They can't find you on facebook They can't find you because you don't have a website listed on your card. You just wasted time networking before you are ready There we go So that opportunity cost is absolutely wasted time because you didn't gain anything out of it. And they're never going to work with you because you weren't fully prepared for that investigative research from that potential client.
1: Right. So you weren't ready to do that.
0: Yeah. You just weren't ready to do that yet.
1: Yeah. And so a big part of that too is this idea of like now they do know who you are, but they Googled you and got a weird vibe because they couldn't find anything. And now they know that they don't want to work with you. So that's even worse, actually. <laughs> You're actually in a worse situation than you were before. And if you are in a situation where someone's like, hey, I, I met this guy um, at this thing. I was thinking about working with him. Have you ever heard of him? Oh, yeah. I got his business card. I don't know who that guy is. I, I couldn't find any of his credits. I couldn't find his website. I couldn't find his Facebook profile. I did find his business. It had zero reviews. You know, there's all sorts of stuff where like you have to do this in the right order. If you are networking to meet mentors, that's one thing. If you're networking to meet customers, that's another. If you have no internet presence, no evidence that you are not just a con man pretending to be who you said you were on the internet, then you're not ready yet for that. And you should do it at a different time. Cause here's the thing. It all comes back. What was the word that you used about procrastination? Uh what about it? I just said that because I don't want to say it. <laughs> Cause it's dirty. Oh, well, that actually let's I'm not gonna
0: get into it because we're gonna be talk about that next. Ah. Let's segue. Yeah, let's segue into the next, the next section is spending time on the wrong things. Procrastination by inventing work. I came out with a term for this. I call it procrasturbation. That is where you're just inventing things to do or you're just like staying busy without actually ever pushing the needle forward.
1: So that at the end of the day, when someone's like, how was your day? That you can be like, oh man, I'm so busy. Busy. Oh, yeah. I work so hard, man. Dude.
0: That's one of the things that Tim Ferriss talks about in the four-hour work week. We tend to wear this badge of busy as like this badge of honor on our chests to like puff out our chests and man, things are so busy around here. I will honestly say, Chris, the last few years have been the best years of business for me and the least busy I've ever been.
1: Agreed. Same. Totally my thing as well. And a lot of that was because of Tim Ferriss in the 4-Hour work week. One of the things he says in there about procrastination is that people who are busy have bad priorities. They're doing the wrong things when they should be doing the things that move the needle first Because if they did the things that move the needle first, there'd be less of an impetus to go out and do all these other little things. They don't have a strong ability to sit down at the beginning of the day and make a list of the most important things and separate that list by to do and not yet.
0: Well, let me say something. I've got two things to say. First, I'm glad you say impetus and not impotence. Uh, Two vastly, (laughs) vastly different things. So I'm glad you got that right this episode. You've messed that one up before. Uh, One of of our listeners. I have not. One of our listeners let me know that one. I don't know. I don't oh, know which episode Oh, gracious. It was. But the thing I wanted to point out was this framework that I like to push things through. Here's the deal. Let me just say this. Every single one of us has a list of things we need to get done. Every single one of us. And what tends to happen is we want to focus on the things that we're able to check off the list so we feel like we got things done. So we focus on the things that are easiest and quickest to do. Guilty. Right. We've all been there. I still do this to this day. But there's this framework that I like to use called ICE. I-C-E. And that is something you can quickly and easily do for your entire to-do list for, and actually here's real quick, Here's how I organize things. I have my monthly to-do list, like my big projects for the month, my weekly task lists, and then I break that into daily tasks. Every week, I'll have a list of daily tasks that I map out for the week. And there's a framework you can use called ICE, and it stands for impact, confidence, and ease. Just give it a score out of five. Some people do have a score out of 10. I don't like scores out of 10. I like scores out of five. And you just look at there and you say impact. What is the impact this will have on my business? Out of five, give it a one to five. Then on that same thing. What's my confidence level that this will actually push my business forward in some way, shape or form? What's my confidence that I can actually achieve this thing or successfully do it? Give me a score from one to five and then ease. How easily can I get this done level one to five? And then you're going to have a total score on that one thing. It is not perfect, but it's at least a good thing for you to map out the things you should be focusing on, the things that are the highest score. Because what you're going to find is All those things you wanted to do were like three and fours. All the things you need to do, the things that are going to actually push your business forward are like nines and tens because it's, you know, three threes or uh, three, three and four. You know, it's like you start to really get a good picture of how big these things are in your business and which ones push them forward. So that's just a quick and dirty thing for you guys to start using the ICE method.
1: That's so good. There's another method called the Eisenhower Matrix popularized by General slash President Eisenhower It's not as catchy as ice. It's not as catchy as ice, but it's got a president's name. (laughs) And so the, the big idea there, I'll be really quick about this, is that it's a quadrant. There's a square with four sections. It's a square divided into four. And on the upper left, you've got things that are important and urgent. On the upper right, you've got things that are important but not urgent. And on the bottom, you have things that are urgent but not important. And then on the bottom right-hand corner of this, sorry, podcasting is not the best place to explain this matrix. You've got things that are not urgent or important. And so it helps you set this sort of priority up where you can tell, hey, this doesn't need dealt with today because it's not urgent, or this needs dealt with today because it's urgent and it's important. And man, that matrix has been so helpful for me. I feel like we should have a whole episode about that because that's more than a side note. (laughs) We probably should. Yeah. Super good stuff. Well, all of this stuff I think is part of the base code. The problem with being a human is dealing with opportunity costs and trying to figure out what the most important thing that you can do that will accomplish your goals. And your goals are growing your business. That's why you're still listening to us yap on and on about this stuff, right? So your goal is to grow your business and it gets really challenging to balance your own ego. I mean, I speak from oodles of experience here. (laughs) It's really hard for me to balance my own ego with knowing what I need to do to move the needle to grow my businesses. It's tough, man. And all of these things are very helpful to kind of balance those things and figure out, am I procrastinating the important things because I don't want to do them? Or am I doing the unimportant things now so that I can just give myself a pat on the back so that I can not feel guilty when someone asks me how my day was
0: So I think it's a good point to move on to the last point here, and that is spending money on the wrong things. We've touched on this a little bit throughout this podcast, but the opportunity cost of putting money towards one thing and not having that money now to spend on something else. And this is way more of an in-depth topic than we can probably give justice for, for a third point in a already hour long podcast. But I think the first and easiest thing to talk about when it comes to the opportunity cost of spending money on the wrong things is gear. This entire podcast is based around the premise that gear is not the limiting factor of your studio. We have the gear slut alert. We don't allow gear talk on the podcast. We're like one of the only audio podcasts that do that. And that's because we truly believe that gear is not the answer for your struggling studio. And that is because of something called opportunity cost. The money you have spent on gear you've now lost that opportunity to spend it on things that matter, things that push your business forward, whether that is paid advertising that we talked about, whether that's building your studio, whether that is hiring somebody, whether it's paying for your subscriptions that you need to run your business efficiently, or if that's just to have that money in the bank so you can leave your day job and have a better emergency fund or runway fund while you're trying to get your studio off the ground, these are all things that the money is better utilized on than just owning a bunch of gear that makes you feel nice on the short term.
1: Yeah, even debt, man. If you've got debt, it's probably for most people, 99% of the time, just paying off your debt as opposed to spending that $1,000 to grow your mic cabinet or whatever it happens to be to feed your microphone addiction. So yeah, I mean, there's just so many things to talk about on the gear thing where... You know, I've talked about this in the past on the podcast, but the idea for most people is imposter syndrome. And when you buy gear, at least for a little while, you have a little less imposter syndrome. Because when someone's like, what do you do for a living? Oh, I'm an audio engineer. Oh, really? And then they're thinking, well, is he any good at it? Well, I have a $4,000 microphone. Clearly, I must be good at it. If I was willing to go into debt and pay interest on a credit card to purchase it.
0: Yep. Or the guys that have a full, like, 32 channel, 64 channel console in their home. I was talking about this with somebody recently. I was like, that feels like you have like a Ferrari on an Island that has dirt roads. Like, it's just like, (laughs) you're not getting the full utilization. It's not where it was meant to be. Or you have, you're like, what I see a lot in Nashville is these big lifted trucks with big mud tires driving around downtown Nashville and parking in the corporate parking structure for like an insurance company like that's your day job and you drive a truck like that and it's not in its true place so you're spending money on this big expensive board that you're not utilizing to its fullest capacity that's a big opportunity cost that's a lot of money sitting in your living room yeah not capable of doing what it was truly meant to do
1: well and the big thing there is there's a lot of things you can buy in your studio so let's say what's a good example a live drum room
0: so that moves us to the next point, spending money on the wrong things, on wasted space for your studio. This is another big one. Drum rooms. What are you going to say about that, Chris?
1: So the idea here is like, I'm going to pay four times what I would typically pay for my lease to have a giant live drum room that I will use for one to 2% of the hours that I have access to the space that I've leased.
0: That's one of the big benefits of living in Nashville is if for some reason and I don't record bands anymore. I only do mixing and mastering. But if I were still recording bands, if I needed a big-ass live room... Go get it. There are dozens of studios that I could rent out at a very affordable rate and just pass on that cost to my customers and have a, probably a better sounding drum space than I would even have at my podcast room now is where, I, where my live room used to be. But there's plenty of options. So you know, if you're in a smaller town, there's less and less options. But most people are not fully utilizing their big-ass drum room space if they have one in their studios.
1: Yeah. So I think for most people, the opportunity cost was be in debt and have a drum room or not be in debt and have a drum room. And the big thing there is that what ends up happening is for most studios, most studios historically, especially through the nineties and two thousands was that they made the choice to have the debt. And then they had a couple inconsistent months in a row and then their bills exceeded their cash flow, and then they folded, right? It would have been better If they had found a way to do what they love for their entire life by making some sound business decisions and recognizing that, yeah, you do feel like a cooler audio engineer by having the live drum room. I'm not saying this is the case for everybody, but it might make a lot more sense to do, man, there's a really cool studio in Cleveland. I'm not going to name drop here, but one of the guys I've been coaching, they have an interesting mothership model. I haven't been to the studio yet, but as I've been told about it and seen some cool pictures, it's a big live drum room in the middle with control rooms around the outside. I've seen similar setups to that. That's dope. So all of a sudden you've got four or five guys. I think it's fewer than that here, but that's what Matt Boudreau of Working Class Audio used to have. Coworking model, yep. Yeah, a couple guys sharing a live drum room as opposed to this like lone wolf, I've got my own live drum room and uh, a lot of debt. And yeah, it just often makes more sense to spend that money elsewhere or to not go into debt to do something like that.
0: Yeah, I think if you want to hear one episode that really embodies opportunity cost, it's that episode where we interviewed Matt Boudreau. It's episode 27. The title is Saving Over $3,000 Per Month by Downsizing to Profitability. It was Matt Boudreau's story. He's the guy behind Working Class Audio. Awesome dude. He actually just texted me. He's here for Nam, and I haven't hung out with him yet. We need to wrap up this podcast soon so I can go hang out. (laughs) Shut up.
1: (laughs) 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 I want to go hang out with Matt. I love that guy.
0: I know, man. The next thing here... And I see this all the time as a course creator. Chris, if you had a course, you would see this all the time. Maybe someday. I call these course collectors, people who waste money on courses without implementing them. There is a huge opportunity cost to this where you're spending this time analyzing a course, determining this is a course you want to buy that's going to help your business or help your mixing skills or help your audio skills or whatever you're trying to buy a course to educate yourself on. Then you spend the money. So you have opportunity cost on time that you could have spent building your business, on money that you could have used buying something else. And then you actually don't implement the course because of many reasons. But this is a huge problem that a lot of people have. And it's a little weird because I sell courses and I see this all the time. And I hate seeing this. I hate seeing people that join a course and six months later, I check their account and they have consumed 0% of that course. And I've tried to solve this, but I think it comes down to A lack of accountability in people's lives.
1: Totally. What is accountability, Brian? Tell us about that.
0: Not to be too like self-serving, but coaching is in a form of accountability. Chris offers coaching and you have coaching clients. I don't think you're taking on any right now, but if you can find a good mentor or a good coach or a good mastermind group, which we've talked about all three of those things on the podcast before, if you can find one of those three things, that's a great form of accountability that keeps you pushing forward in something.
1: Well, let me hop in here. One of the things that's interesting about accountability is it's the opposite of imposter syndrome. When you're like, hey, guys, like my core group of people, hey, I decided to spend $40,000 to buy a console for my tracking studio. Hopefully those guys love you enough to be like, hey, man, uh, pretty cool that you bought that console last year. Have you got any clients as a result of it? That's accountability. And then you got to look them in the eye and be like, no, I haven't. So that accountability is really, really helpful because imposter syndrome is mostly your fear that you don't look the way that you want to to the people around you, right? But accountability is the opposite. It uses that fear that these people that you love and trust in your life are going to hold you accountable and be like, hey, you are not doing this thing that you said you did or, hey, you made this big investment, but you have not done anything to capitalize on it. What's up with that, bruh? That's accountability. And that's such a powerful thing.
0: Yeah, so this would be a, probably a good time for me to mention that in six days, we'll be starting our fifth accountability boot camp. We do these a few times a year. This will probably be the last one we do this year, just because it's getting later in the year. But I do want to make sure people know this. If you are a current profitable producer course student, which we have about 600 of those that are eligible right now that haven't done this before, if you are a student, you are eligible for the accountability accelerator bootcamp. Make sure you sign up for that before Sunday. This is where we take a group of people through about a hundred people or so. We split them into teams of 10 people. So like little miniature mastermind groups, and we give them assignments every single week. It's a bootcamp where we make them implement things in their business. And then we check your work. That's the accountability portion. We check every single person's work. And if they did it to our liking, like to our specifications, like, I'm going to give one example here, but we'll have one where we tell you to build a website if you don't already have one or to revamp your website if you already have a website. And we're going to go check your website after the due date, the tasks to do at the end of every week. We're going to check those items. And if you don't do them or you do them poorly, we're going to give you a strike. And if you get three strikes, we're going to kick you out of the program. How's that for some accountability, Chris? I love it.
1: That's dope, man.
0: And every single week, if you do them, you get points for your team. And at the end of the eight weeks, the teams with the most points wins prizes. The last AAB, we gave every person on the winning team $500 gift cards for Sweetwater.com to satiate their gear lust or to (laughs) buy software, which is cool too. But we have all sorts of prizes. There's a huge team element to it. Everybody's inside of Slack in their own like team channel. So if you are not a current Profitable Producer Course student, you can always sign up and join before then. I'll probably send an email out about that. If people want to join, I'll send an email. But if you're a current student, which there's a lot of students that have not taken part in any AAB yet, Accountability Accelerator Bootcamp, if you have not taken part in that, sign up today and make sure you're taking part in that before Sunday because, man, I can't wait to start this next one up.
1: Well, we're going to have Graham Cochran on the show here on our next episode. Hopefully. Depending on the order that we've released these, he might have already been on the show last week. But so one of the things he talks about is the importance of having a group like that on his podcast, The Graham Cochran Show, which I'm obsessed with. And it's made me think, you know, listening to Graham talk about this, but then also even just your kind of pitch for AAB here, that with the coaching clients I've got, I've got about 20 guys that I'm doing coaching with. I've thought about building like a little community for them too, like a Slack group or a Facebook group, just for us to be discussing that stuff. Slack is awesome for that, man. Because just because of the
0: live element, it's a live chat community versus Facebook, which is like, Someone posts and then a few minutes later someone might show up and comment. For big groups like our free Facebook community, they're like over five thousand members. That's awesome for that kind of setup. But for like, you know, a smaller group of like your 20 guys, or we have a little over a thousand people in PPC, they're all in that community. Like that's a much better medium for that type of thing.
1: That's super interesting, man. When you've got a community like that, that one is gonna hold you accountable, that two, you're gonna learn from the other people in your group, aside from like the course instructor or the mentor or the coach or whatever. That adds a lot of value, too. But I think, you know, you mentioned earlier this sort of like loneliness thing of, you know, like you go and network not because you think it'll help your business, but because you're lonely. And there's something there, too, in that going out and just networking or doing something that's not really going to help your business but might make you feel better about yourself can be really intense because it's a false sense of value. It's a false sense of not being lonely. When you've got people that are actually holding you accountable, when you've got people that are investing and seeing you improve and not it's just this like everyone's out for themselves, that's where you find real accountability. That's where you find real community. and, And that's where it starts to really not be lonely. You know, I know for us with our mastermind group with Blamo, a lot of tough love in that group. And it's because of the tough love that I keep on going. And it's because of the tough love that our community is awesome. I think this is kind of a weird out of left field place to go. But I think it's important to underscore, don't settle for fake community. Don't settle for fake networking. Don't settle for fake friends. You got to have accountability. And if you don't, not only is your professional life not as fun, but you're also not going to grow at anywhere near the same speed.
0: I think that's a good place to kind of wrap this up is opportunity cost is going to be everywhere. It is inevitable. It's something you're always going to experience, but surrounding yourself with the right people is going to help minimize the negative impact of opportunity costs in your life and your business. Love it. So that is it for this episode of the six figure home studio podcast. If you didn't notice already, uh, this episode came out a week later than we expected it to because we uh, wanted to get that Graham Cochran episode out as fast as possible because it was so dang good. Uh, and we wanted to coincide for his, his course launch he was doing, but, uh, with AAB 5.0, Uh, We actually started that yesterday. So if you did not sign up for that and you are currently a PPC student and you are eligible, uh, you can always sign up today because we have a reserve team for AAB, meaning if anyone fails out the first week, we will replace those failed members with the reserve team. So it may not be too late. It's probably too late if I'm being honest, but you can always sign up for AAB and uh, you might have a chance to get in for this one. We have over a hundred people in this one and uh, it's going to be a hell of a time. Next week's episode is all about charging $5 per song for mixing. And that's all I'm going to say about that. That'll be coming out next Tuesday, bright and early, 6 a.m., 0600 hours. The same time the podcast comes out every single week. Until next time, thanks so much for listening and happy hustling.